All right, my name is Jordan. I didn't say it last time. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to read the scripture for today. It should be on the screens to my left and to my right. Um, it's 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 11. So if you have a Bible, you can pull it out right now. Uh, take out your smartphone app or whatever, or you could just, if your vision is good enough, you can read it on the screen right in front of me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by your prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through, many, through the prayers of many. Blessed be the word of God. Uh, I want to invite up one of our friends today who's going to be actually preaching, my brother Lester Kim. Give it up for my brother Lester. Now, we're really excited to have Lester come and speak to us. Lester leads a community group uh, here at Renaissance, but uh, much more than him having uh, community group experience, Lester is also an ordained minister. He's been a pastor longer uh, than I have hairs on my head, which is not a good analogy, actually. Uh, Lester is a, a, a native New Yorker. He says coffee instead of coffee. Um, and he said he loves basketball, and his words, not mine. He said, if you come to the hole, he'll put you down. So this is his words. <laughs> so what, what he lacks in height, he makes up for in aggression, apparently. <laughs> well, that's just a, a dear brother, and he's going to share this word with us today. And I'm, before he gets into it, I'm going to pray for him, and uh, I'll turn him loose. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for how you've been leading us through this series on a theology of suffering. Father, I pray for my brother right now, God, that you would give him uh, clarity of words, uh, God, that you would bless us to receive exactly what you want us to, say, to hear. Bless him right now, God, and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's, it's, it's a pleasure, and um, I'm honored to be here. Um, you know, as we continue our series in the theology of suffering, uh, we're going to look a little more into the topic of suffering and hardship. And we're, in particular, where comfort fits in. Um, it's not an easy subject for us to talk about. Uh, as we've been kind of going through the last few weeks, you know, for some of us, it's opened up some stuff. And I think it's made us realize that, you know, um, there's stuff, real stuff out there that we're struggling with that we just don't talk about all the time. And so uh, whatever hardship, whatever we're facing, we've faced before in the past, which is affecting us now, whatever we're struggling with right now, or maybe we see coming down the road. Um, it's something we need to understand and kind of grow in our understanding. Where does God fit in when we suffer? And where does comfort come in? I'm grateful for Jordan, to Aswan, to Renaissance, 
uh, for the opportunity to be here. Not only to share God's word, but you know that uh, this is now a place that my family and I, we call home, and we call this our family, and we're thankful for that. Uh, this particular sermon was born out of a difficult time uh, in my life. At the time when I was originally putting it together, I, I, was, I shared this with uh, my previous church in California. But at that time, you know, uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on recently. I had a friend uh, commit suicide. I knew of another person who committed suicide. I had people going through all kinds of illnesses and just struggling with disease, uh, dealing with a uh, 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 husband or a wife that lost, you know, their spouse. While I was dealing with families and marriages and relationships that were just falling apart because of divorce or unfaithfulness or whatever. And there's just a lot of stuff going on with me personally, too. And this was born out of, this sermon was born out of this. And there were days when I would pray in tears saying, God, I know you're good. But this is too hard. I know, I've learned that you're good over the years. And I've heard about it in the Bible. I read about it. And somewhere up here, I know you're good. But right here, it's too hard. And I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed. I feel like I'm getting crushed. And I would pray, God, I don't know why this is happening. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. But you need to give me strength today. If maybe not the answer, if maybe not you're not going to resolve it, just, just give me strength today. And I'm probably going to ask that same thing tomorrow. This, is, this, this, uh, this passage for me comes out of that period of my life and have you been there also? Have you been there where you're struggling with something and you're just thinking, God, this is, this is just way too hard. And, I'm, and, it's, and you don't want to think about it. You do anything. You'll go watch a movie. You'll hang out with friends. You'll go have a drink. You'll have a party. You'll just keep yourself busy because the, the minute you stop and think about it, you're just overwhelmed. And you feel like it's just going to crush you. I want to encourage you that I've been there. Still there at times. There are others in this room, as you know, you've been hearing the last few weeks, that have been there, are there, or are still going through it. And I want to remind you that there are many of us out there, brothers, sisters, friends. You are not alone. You are not alone in your suffering. And more than that, it's not meaningless. I want us to walk through this passage together. Let's do it together. And I hope we can see that, you know, um, that we as God's people, God's family, we can learn more about how to suffer together and to comfort one another together. Um, first slide is, you know, our faith in Jesus, our faith and our trust in Jesus is not only understood in the context of suffering, but actually grows through it and in it. It's a weird thing. Like, nobody wants to suffer. No one, like, raises their hand, like, wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to do five things to ruin my life and make myself miserable, right? We actually do everything the opposite. We try to think, oh, I'm going to do this, take this train, this hour, this route, hit all these things to make our lives comfortable, to make our lives easy. You know, for many of us, if we could, we're going to make choices based on ease and comfort, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing absolutely wrong with it. You know, there's no medal for being stupid and making bad choices. There's no medal for making your life harder than it has to be. Like you don't get a reward in heaven. God says, you know what? I told you to take point A, 
but you and all the way goes, here, here's a medal for just not listening. You know, there's no medal for that. So there's nothing wrong with being comfortable choosing things that are easier. I'm not, I'm not here to say, let's make our lives harder, dangerous, needlessly suffer. When I'm not, but here's the thing. But if the decisions of your life, the choices you make, the road that you take, if everything about it, if the sum of your life is based on just making your life comfortable, making your life easy, then there's something wrong there. Doing things that are comfortable and easy, that's not a bad thing. But if that's everything about your life, then there's something wrong. Because the scary thing is this. That road that you take to make your life comfortable and easy is sometimes and oftentimes the very same road that takes you away from God. Because that's not the, that's not the path God wants you. Jesus says, the way to me is narrow. My kids try to balance on these little like narrow like sidewalk, whatever things, and they fall all the time. But I mean, there's, there's something to be said that if you stay on the narrow path, if you put in the work, you also get the reward out of it. So I want us to know, you know that there's nothing wrong with a comfortable life, but that can't be all about it. Right? it can't be, that can't be the summary of our life, is that we did everything that, made us so, that, that we only wanted to do when we wanted to do it, which is best only for us and how we want it on our terms. Because it doesn't work that way. Try being a boyfriend that way, a girlfriend that way, a parent that way, a son or daughter. You would be an awful person. I wouldn't want to be your friend, sorry. (laughs) I will love you and pray for you, but I will not like hanging out with you. See, the question for us, you know, as Christians, as the people of God, and if you're still kind of wondering um, who God is and where that is, the question for us is not so much why do bad things happen to good people? And you've heard that question before because the reality is bad things happen to all people. It's not why do bad things happen to good people and then now we're like, oh, how did this happen? No, bad things happen to all people. doesn't matter where you're from, how old you are, what race you are, how much money you have, how little money you have. doesn't matter what background you are. Bad things happen to all people because we live in a broken and fallen world. That's just the fact. If you're, in, if you're in a dirty place, doesn't matter how clean you are when you get in, you're going to walk out dirty. That's just the reality of it. No one, exempt, no one is exempt from a broken world, a fallen world. The better question you should ask is not do why, why do bad things happen to good people. The, the better question you and I need to find answers for and struggle with is what do you do when bad things happen? What do you do when those things happen? Who do you turn to for help and for comfort and in your times of trouble? That's the question you need answers for. That's the question I need answers for. It's not why is this happening because that's so, it's supposed to happen. But now that it's happening, what am I supposed to do? And that's the struggle. And the thing is, it's weird because when you and I ask God, God, make me more like you. You ever pray that prayer? When I was younger, I prayed this prayer and it's probably the the boldest and dumbest prayer I ever prayed in my life. Because I would read the Bible, I would read about stories about David, Moses, Samuel, Daniel, you know, and the, and the apostles. And I'm like, wow, these guys are amazing. And I said, God, you know what? I see these guys and these women in the scripture, and I said, you know what? Their, their faith was amazing. You know what? I want to know them in a way no man has ever known you. I go, whatever they had, I want more. That's, 
a great and really dangerous prayer to ask because God has been answering it. And his answered prayers for me has been devastating my life and stripping me of myself and enduring such pain and hardship that I, never, I would never wish it on other people. But at the same time, it's helped me love God and understand God in a way someone who's never suffered won't understand. You know, Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song that, you know, it's the people who are hungry, who, are, who know what it's like to be hungry, who, know, who can enjoy basically a meal. I'm paraphrasing his. The ones who have been hungry appreciate the meal. The ones who have been, in, in, you know, broken or enslaved, they appreciate freedom. And so having faced hardship, having faced difficulties and heartache and pain, I begin to understand a little bit more the grace and love of God. You know, when we say, you know, we sang, was it, a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, one of the lines of the song was, fill me up, fill me up, Lord. And I was thinking about it. If you want God to fill you up, he's going to empty you first. And that emptying process, it's not fun. It's not easy. He said, if you want me to fill you up, I got to take stuff out. I got to take stuff that doesn't belong there, that, that doesn't have anything to do with me. I got to take it out. And it's a painful process. It's a painful process, but it's worth it. See, comfort for us is not the absence of suffering or necessarily the removal of suffering. That we, but comfort is what we receive from God and from others in the midst of suffering. So we think comfort is, hey, take these things away and I'll be comfortable. That's not what, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, you know what? When you're suffering, you're going to get comfort in it. I'm not, it's not going to go away because we live in a broken world. But when you're in it, that's when comfort comes in. That's when, when we experience it. God is going to make you and I uncomfortable to remind you and me, hey, you need me. You need me because our own normal situation of thinking, our normal default setting is that we want to do things on our own. We think we can handle it. But when you and I encounter things that are so beyond our ability, whether it be sickness, whether it be just a, a, just a heartache or whatever it may be, you, you and I can't you do it. You can't change it. You can't do anything with these hands. And so what does it do? You do God, and you put your hands together and say, God, I need you. God makes us uncomfortable to make us turn to him. God doesn't say, you're not going to suffer. But once again, he just says, but when you do suffer, I will be there. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. But not only does God promise that, he, you know, that we're not alone in our suffering, but it also isn't meaningless. That's a huge thing for us. Right? Is our suffering meaningless? Because we don't understand it. So we, we talked about the uncomfortable truth about comfort. God is just going to make us uncomfortable because in our discomfort, in our suffering, while we're in it, God's going to comfort us. But also, the second point is we are comforted to comfort others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others as well. You know, it's a strange, weird thing that the more you live just for yourself, the more you live just to kind of fill your life, the emptier you get. But the more you give out, the more you feel rich. You know, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, 
so that, you read that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, there are stories that you, you and I all know all the time. You know, people who grew up in just you know, in hard neighborhoods or in poor situations, they make it, they become superstar athletes or famous or win the lotto or whatever, and then they forget their, where they came from. They just say, okay, you know what, that, that life is over. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I just, I just leave it, forget it. And it's easy for us as Christians to kind of fall in that same way. Once you say, Jesus, I believe in you, and you start receiving the grace, love, and mercy of God, the crazy thing is we forget the world around us. We forget that we were just there too. We were just as lost, just as blind, just as broken. You know, and, you know, this, you know the thing you've been hearing with from uh, Jordan Asma is like, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to get a bread. Right? But now we're just taking their bread and keeping it to ourselves and saying, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you gotta, you gotta find it on your own. Do it on your own. The thing is, it's easy for us to forget that. And so when we face suffering, when we struggle with these things, it's kind of a wake-up call. It reminds us, you know what? You're not actually out of this world. You're still part of it. You're not out of this world. You're still part of it. But the difference is you and I have experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You know, um, uh, I don't take too much time, but in the E60, they did a special on Penny Hardaway. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. I, put, I think I put on the link on my Facebook. So be my friend and, and you'll see it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, it talked about basically, you know, like this guy made like, I think it's like $160 million in his career, but he ended up coaching this high school team from his hometown and because of his friend. His friend that he grew up with was struggling with colon cancer. And basically he was there just to help his friend out. And, but his friend is, you know, he, he wants to coach, but he can't, but he's still hanging out there with the kids because he loves the kids. And the reporter asked him, because like, there are days when the, his, friend, his friend's name is Dez. There, there are days when the, his friend Dez is just like, you, the kids are practicing, he's sitting in a corner on, the, on a chair with his head, the hands in his face, and he's just exhausted. And t- it's taking so much out of him. And the reporter is asking, why do you do this? It's taking so much out of you. You know what he says? He says, but I'm also getting so much from them. He goes, why do you do this? It's taking so much out of you. But he says, but I'm getting so much from them. See, we are comforted so that we can comfort others. See, the amazing thing is, unlike superstars or famous people or rich people who forgot where they came from, unlike them, Jesus leaves all of that to come to us. He leaves all of heaven to empty a crummy and broken and dirty world to comfort us, to remind us that God has not forgotten you. I love Christmas. Not the shopping part. It's just because it's a nightmare going to stores now. I avoid it. Online is key, definitely. Or just don't buy anything anymore for them. Or do that after Christmas sales, like 40% off. But anyway, uh, <laughs> or 70% off. You just got to deal with the mobs. But um, the amazing thing is that Jesus, it's not like he came up from the bottom and that he was already up top. But he came down to remind, look, I didn't forget you. Christmas is him coming down just to remind us once and for all, I didn't forget you. I'm actually here to get you. And it's amazing. You are not alone in your suffering, and it isn't meaningless. You are not alone in your suffering, and it isn't meaningless. There's something, I really believe, 
there's something far worse than death. And you can think, what's, what's worse than death? Death is, like, death, death is the end, right? But if death is the end, at least it's over in some ways. There's something far worse to be a... And I believe what's far worse than death is to be alone, to be abandoned, to be unloved, to be treated like you don't mean anything, like your life has no merit and doesn't matter. That's worse than death. Right? That's worse than death. Death, at least it's over in some ways. But to be in this life, be in this world, with our own struggles and our own suffering and whatever issues you're dealing with and heartache, and I don't want to belittle, it is, it's real. But the worst thing that can happen is to think that you're alone in this, to think that you're abandoned, that you're unloved, and that your life and whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Some of you suffer secretly. If you're like me, you will suffer secretly because you don't want to talk about it. Some of you and some of us suffer, suffer secretly. And brothers and sisters, friend, you're not alone in that. Whatever, whatever it particularly is for you, whatever that thing is or things are, you're not alone in this. You're not, a, you're not abandoned. You're not unloved. Your life matters. And there's meaning to it. Some of us think you're damaged. What can God do with someone like you? With your background, your history, whatever it is, or the things you've done in your life. You think, what can God do with something and someone like you? You know, as Jordan and Aswan have been faithfully preaching and sharing, and I've been so encouraged by them, Jesus came for you. Every single person in the seat, Jesus came for you. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came not to save, not only just to save you, but to redeem you. Jesus doesn't just save your life. He's going to change your life. He's going to take those things that are meant to ruin your life, and he's going to reverse it and change it. You know, the, you know, the story of Joseph and his brothers, you know, it's, it's a raw deal he gets. Some of it's deserved. Some, most of it's not. But the end, when he stands before his brothers... And his brothers are scared of him because they remember everything bad they did to him and everything, how much he suffered. You know what Joseph says? He says, what you meant for harm, what you meant to ruin me and destroy me, God meant for good. The circumstances in your life, the people in your life, your history, your background, your family, whatever it is that are meant to ruin you and destroy you, God is going to use that awful thing for your good. And the perfect example of that is the cross when Jesus dies. The cross is a horrible, awful thing. It used to be a symbol of absolute humiliation and certain death. But everyone who now believes in Jesus Christ looks at that very symbol, instrument of death, as, as hope, as a promise of God's love for us. God is going to reverse that thing that you think can, it's, it's, God can't change. He's going to use it. And you know what? And in those things, in those difficulties, in your particular struggles, God opens doors for you to help and comfort others just like you were comforted who are in the exact same shoes who think they're alone, who think no one else understands what they're going through. He's going to use you to remind them, no, you're not alone, you're not abandoned, you're not meaningless. God loves you. God can change you.
Merci. Amen. The amazing thing is God is greater than our past. God is greater than our present because he promises us a greater future. So whatever your past is, God's greater than that. Whatever you're going through right now, God's greater than that. You got to look forward to the future. And so God continues, like, you know, as Jordan was saying, make a friend from the Bible. God, if you read the Bible, you're going to see God continues throughout the Bible to now comfort his people. And the story of the Bible is God comforting his people and changing them and redeeming them. And uh, we have a fantastic opportunity this morning. Um, we have uh, some friends here, our family members here, Chris and Hope Muller. Uh, I'm going to invite them here uh, before I close just to share what God has been doing, the grace they've received from God and from those around them. Uh, so in the early spring of 2013, my wife Hope and I, we found out that we were expecting our first child. And so for those of us who are parents in the room, like you'll understand me when I say that we just started like freaking out with excitement, right? Um, and all these expectations, expectations of all the beautiful and amazing things that were going to become of our lives with this addition to our family. And so at the end of the summer, after months of dreaming and planning and wondering and preparing and all those things you do, right, to try and control the situation, uh, we went in for our appointment uh, about get of the baby, it's pregnancy. And so at this point, we had one ultrasound, and it's like the picture that you get of the baby, it's like a dot, right? So you're like, woohoo, but you can't see anything. But at this ultrasound, you get to find out the gender, and you get to see, like, everything, right? So we go in, and we're just looking on in complete disbelief as we see our baby moving around. Uh, she's, like, waving her hand. She's, like, popping and locking, you know. <laughs> I was like, what's up? I got, there's her arms. There's her, oh, look at her legs. Oh, she's got a Filipino nose. What's up, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so we find out at the end of the ultrasound that we're having a baby girl. And so I married a planner, and so we had already decided on a name. So right then, in that moment, we named her. Her name was Malia, uh, Malia June. And so at the end of the appointment, you know, we had to go to this different room, and we're waiting in the doctor's office, like still kind of uncontrollably, that goofy smile on your face, dreaming about Malia, already making plans. I'm deciding on what professional sport she's going to play. Hope's, you know, saying, oh, she's going to probably be exceptional at math, but might not be able to read, but that's Okay. And so then our midwife comes in, and she probably has the exact opposite expression that was on our faces. And so she walks into the room, and she slowly sits down, and she says, she has some difficult news. And she shares with us that uh, from the ultrasound pictures, the doctors actually couldn't find evidence that Malia had developed a brain. Uh, it's an extremely rare brain defect uh, known as anencephaly. And uh, this condition was terminal. And the best case scenario for us and the best case scenario for Malia would be that uh, she would make it through the birth. And she might live for a few minutes. And if we were extremely lucky, uh, Malia might even live for a few hours. And so we were sitting there obviously shocked and confused. I mean, like five minutes ago, we were seeing in there her like doing the backstroke in the womb, all happy, trying to tell us how good she was feeling. And then we get this. And although, I mean, we learned that although she would continue to grow, 
continue to survive and even thrive in the womb, her life, she just would not survive outside. We were told that her life was incompatible with life. So enter in this overwhelming shock, um, frustration, confusion, and just deep, deep, overwhelming sadness. And so despite the uh, multiple medical options that were given to us uh, to proceed, we chose to carry her. We chose to carry Malia to full term in the face of her terminal condition, knowing full well what this road uh, entailed, knowing that each day that we came closer to her birth, reality was we were coming one day closer to her inevitable and her inescapable death. Uh, Malia was due in uh, January 9th, 2014. But in late September, uh, Malia died in utero. And so she was stillborn, a few months shy of her birthday. So a scripture that really spoke um, to me and defined this season for me was Job 1315, where Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And the message version says, because even if God killed me, I would keep on hoping. Um, So I admit most days um, that was the furthest from how I felt. Um, After Malia's diagnosis, I lost most of my hope. Um, The grief was pretty suffocating. Um, I would cry myself to sleep at night and then wake up in the middle of the night and cry myself back to sleep. Um, And it seemed sort of like a never-ending cycle. I was still working full-time, and I would go throughout my day um, trying to hold the tears back, just waiting um, for for sundown um, so I could just, yeah, survive the day. It was really rough. Um, growing list of questions for God. Um, Where are you? Have you left our family? Um, Don't you want to give us good gifts? Um, Why would you even create this baby if you intended for her to die? Um, And day after day, I felt like I was cursed. Um, Like everything I touched would be cursed too. Um, And during um, that time, one of the best things that Chris and I did was um, intentionally invite our friends and church family in Rhode Island Uh, to walk alongside us in our anger, our grief, and despair. Um, And immediately it was clear um, that we were not alone in our suffering. Um, Friends would pray for us when we had no words. They would um, cry with us when there was nothing to say. Um, And they would point us to true things about God um, when it all seemed really blurred. And the first prayer a friend prayed for me the day that we found out about Malia's diagnosis Um, was, God, I pray that you feel really near to hope in this next season. Um, And that word near uh, became really key for me. I sort of, I held onto it tightly um, for the next few months. I I would sing prayers about God's nearness. You never let me go. You're closer than the ground I'm standing on. Um, Themes of nearness echoed all around me. Um, And although sometimes I felt like God was farther than the furthest star that I could see in the sky, um, I, I knew that I wasn't alone because he was with me. Um, and after Malia's diagnosis and death, God also revealed answers to the questions that I had for him slowly. Um, I would have these significant encounters with him uh, where it was clear that he had not left me. Um, I was not alone. He was near every single day, no matter what, and that he wants good things for us. Um, He's all about pouring out his love um, on us. 
And lastly, that I, I wasn't cursed, um, even though that's how I felt. Um, but I, I belong to the Lord and that he doesn't curse us. Um, and I also had so many questions about Malia's purpose. Um, why, why would you create her? Um, but he, he started to answer those over time too. Um, and although the last thing that you should tell a person in grief is God is going to teach you things through your suffering, um, the secret is he did and he does and he will. And, um, and as Lester was mentioning, um, that we were extremely comforted. Like, we were extremely comforted by community. Um, more than that, we were extremely comforted by God. Um, but the thing was, that comfort wasn't supposed to be ma- remain one direction, or it wasn't supposed to be just inward. Um, the crazy thing during this experience was that God comforted us to comfort other people. And uh, through our pain and through our suffering and, and through this choice to share what was going on with us, not um, from any wisdom I think we had. It was just kind of like we knew we couldn't do this. We needed other people. Um, before you know it, we were getting calls, emails, you name it, to meet with people who were dealing with similar things. They would say, hey, Chris and Hope, we just had a friend in our church uh, who had a fatal diagnosis, and they would love to meet with you. People from my school, professors, would send me emails saying, hey, someone that we know just had an infant death. Uh, We shared your story. They would love to meet you. Before you know it, you'd have like four grown adults out to dinner weeping in public who a few minutes ago were strangers, but because of this shared experience, we could go to that place, and at the same time of deep, deep sadness, it wouldn't remain there, but we actually had hope. And we were grateful to be able to give that and receive that from other people. And as Hope said, there are just like thousands and thousands of more things that we learned uh, over these last few years and during this season about, uh, I mean, through Malia's life, through her death, um, about our lives and ultimately about the Lord. Uh, and the things that maybe he could have only taught us through a hardship like this. But one thing is for certain is that her life wasn't meaningless. Uh, her death wasn't meaningless. And our suffering definitely was not meaningless. Thanks, Chris and Hope. Uh, let me just wrap things up. Um, so we went over the uncomfortable truth about comfort, that we are comforted to comfort. And ultimately, we find that God is our source of comfort. Um, if you could just go to the next slide, slide number 10. Uh, Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection was God's demonstration of his love for us by giving us everything he had to comfort us, and to remind us that we matter to him. Jesus was the ultimate gift God gives to us to remind us that I love you, and you matter to this church and people. You ultimately matter to me. While God does use his church and people to bring comfort to our lives, and that's what God does, that's what the church is for, our ultimate source of comfort comes from God, because no one's going to understand us like God does, because he's been there. You wonder, how can he know he's been there? If, if you really study the Bible and you look at the context where he's born, it's an awful thing. Like, how do I know God loves me? Do you know what he went through? 
Do you know where he was born? Do you know his family situation that his mom was pregnant before they got married? And was, in that day and age, you don't do that. Here, maybe it's, it's getting a little normal for us. But back then, that's an absolute no. Joseph was thinking about divorcing her quietly. She was born, he, was, he was born into scandal almost. He was, the good news were reported to a bunch of shepherds, or a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of outcasts. God comes to the people on the outer rim, us, to bring us back into him. How do you know someone loves you? How do you know someone loves you? You know, you know the phrase, you know, true love is blind. That's, that's a lie, okay? That's a, that's a hallmark card. That's a lie, okay? Throw that away. True love sees everything, especially the nasty parts, the dirty and crusty parts, and says, you know what? I still want you. I still love you. That's true love. God doesn't come in blind. God doesn't, God's not stupid. He's not like, oh, I didn't know I was, you were like this. Right? But God knows everything. And you know what? Let me show you that I love you more than you love yourself. I love you so much that I'm going to leave everything to bring you back home. Because you've lost your mind. And you're in a place you don't belong and so how do we know God loves us? How do we know we can get comfort? How do we know that God is our ultimate source of comfort? Because when Jesus hangs on the cross, he is abandoned by God so that you and I would never be abandoned. Jesus becomes unloved by God so that we could become adopted as God's sons and daughters. How do you know God loves you? Because he gave up everything to remind it that you matter to me. You matter to me. And your suffering, your struggles, I know them well. I know them well. I've been through every difficulty that you can imagine in the human race. You know what? And still, I was sinless. But now I understand. I understand. Not just I understand. I'll be with you. Sometimes in our suffering, we need someone. When our friends are around, we need someone who's always going to be there no matter what. And we have that promise in God himself, in the person of Jesus. As Jordan loves, and I love that passage, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Shall angels or demons or death or famine or sword? I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we look forward to Christmas, as we celebrate Easter in a few months, I hope that it's a visible historical reminder for you that you matter. You are not alone. And God is going to provide comfort to you through his church and through himself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us and meet us as you are doing and you're continuing to do here at Renaissance and here in our neighborhood. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the clear demonstration of your love for us, that, that we are not alone, that we're not abandoned. But Jesus, you left everything. You became alone. You became abandoned so that we would not. You became unloved so that we would know your love. You would not comfort it so that we would receive that kind of comfort from God. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us here, especially for those who are a little struggling with things right now or have been. I pray you would meet them in a special way. I pray that you provide for us, Lord, 
people, brothers and sisters that we can open our hearts up to and find comfort. Give us opportunities, we pray, Lord, to sit alone with you and sit with others and find that comfort. At the same time, give us opportunities to know, Lord, let us comfort those who are struggling as well, just like we were comforted by you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.